morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Neighborish Livecast. I'm Super Dave, a.k.a. Mr. Incredible, and with me, as always, <laughs> are my team of incredible individuals, starting with our feminine energy, Miss Butter Pecan, Miss Fruit Fit herself, <laughs> Patrice Jones is with us. What's up, Patrice? What's up, what's up? How you doing? How was your weekend? Weekend was great. Going to a great week. It's a little chilly. I wish it would warm up, and I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know the seasons do that from time to time. And uh, our DC's native son, hey. the SC3 representative. Hey. My man, Jason. What's up with you, brother? Hello, Dave. How are you? Doing well, brother. Did you have a good weekend, sir? I did. Thank you. That's good. That's good. And we have an amazing show for y'all today because our guest today is a songwriter, an artist, a producer. Well, he just said he, uh, he retired it's from being an artist, but we, we, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, he's a producer. He has produced tracks for uh, a bunch of industry artists, people like Cassie, Fabulous, Jeremiah, Rhapsody, Big Crit, Kiki Palmer, Raheem Devon, and Kanye West. His unique sound is a part of the driving force behind Sci High the Prince's 2017 release, No Dope on Sundays. And he's inspired thousands of his social media followers with his hashtag, I Deserve It, a movement chronicling his own fitness journey. Ladies and gentlemen, Grammy nominated producer Mark Bird is with us today. What's up, brother? What up, dude? What's happening? Hey, man, it's great to have you here. We got a lot to talk about. We're going to get into, um, you know, all the stuff I just talked about and a whole bunch more. But first, there's a few things going on in the city, in the country, in the world that we need to talk about. And we're going to oh. talk about it right now. You missed it, Jay. What's going on, Dave? <laughs> there you go. He usually says that. But anyway, so, yeah, we're going to talk about it right now. I want to start with, uh, as y'all know, uh, the coronavirus is, is making a huge comeback right now. He's on his comeback tour. You know what I'm saying? He's a, uh, you know, but uh, but seriously, it's, the the numbers are getting crazy. Um, the governments uh, here in this area and all over the country are talking about more shutdowns and you know more measures to try to slow the spread of the virus. Um, we've seen like uh, with a lot of stuff that's been going on lately, a surgeons of people who you know are seeing this as a, a, a hoax or you know whatever. Can we talked about theories about different things that could be going on, but. With that, a lot of people aren't doing the mask wearing. You know, we're seeing a lot of folks who are, um, you know, saying it's not real, things of that nature. Um, I personally take it take it seriously, e even with, you know, ideas about where it came from, how it started, things like that. You know, so I wanted to get you guys' opinion. Like, what do you think it would take to get people to really uh, um, take this as seriously as it needs to be to try to get a handle on it? Because it's kind of blowing up right now. So, and I'll start with uh, P Patrice. Stop ladies first. <laughs> what you think about this? Yeah, what is it going to take to get a handle on it? Yeah, yeah, to get people to kind of, uh, you know, take it more seriously. I think that, I think for the most part that people are, I think we just need to be, well, you don't have a whole idea about it, but from the standpoint of what you just said, I think that um, people are taking it, seriously but it's it's not it's so it's so far out of hand that um i'm sorry i just totally lost my thought it's so far out of hand that it's tough to 
people are already programmed to take it seriously. Like people are wearing masks and people are paying attention to, you know, the protocols that are in place, but we have the holidays coming up. And so we've never experienced this, um, you know, a, a virus within a holiday time. And so a lot of people don't know how to move right now. So you have people's family coming in town and, you know, even though people have lost relatives to the virus, um, they still want to be around their loved ones. And I don't think that it's not, it's that they're not taking it seriously. I think people are trying to find a way to love up on one another because we've been, um, you know, isolated for many, many months. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that that's a good, um, you know, a good question in this whole thing. It's tough to try to balance that that need for connection and 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 closeness with with family, with friends, with people, with the severity of what's going on. So, um, right. can I tell you something real quick? Sure. So you don't think I'm crazy? I lost my thought because I was sitting. I'm at the park and I was sitting down on the uh -huh. ground and I noticed a rat hole. So it's oh. like. Yeah, it threw me off, so, so don't think I'm crazy. I'm, I got my scoopers today. I'm good. No, no, you're all right. <laughs> no judgment, no judgment. I lost all my thoughts. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you're worried about what's coming up out of that red hole. Like, nah, it's all I good. I know, right? <laughs> and we are still on the south side. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, well, it's rats on every side of D.C. I take that personal because I'm from the South Side. Don't don't do South Side <laughs> like that. But anyway, so so yeah, Jay. Um, you know, like I said, how how do um how do you handle trying to balance like you know staying connected with your family members, with your friends and people, and also you know taking these guidelines seriously, or or do you you know how do you feel about it? I mean, I, I try to follow the guidelines. Um. Yeah, I mean, I ain't really trying to rock the boat, uh, but it hasn't really prohibited me from, uh, you know, seeing my family or the people that I interact with. You know, I'm just, you know, uh, it's not that real big of a deal to me. I just try to make sure that I'm following the precautions that are recommended, you know, by, you know, uh, quote unquote authorities. Right. And uh, right. just keep it moving from there. It's not, it's not like this big thing on my mind, like, oh, I'm constantly... You know, I just, you know, I'm basically living the same way I've been living, but just with additional precautions. Understood. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. And Mark, I know you do a lot of traveling with your work and everything, so I know that adds an extra level of, you know, um, of of difficulty to to maneuvering in this new this new time that we're living in. Um, so uh, I guess the same question, like, how are you balancing, you know, um, staying connected with people and and still staying safe, you know, keeping everything uh, safe. And the only thing that sucks for me is my family not where I am, and most of them are in places where, like, if I go, I have a mandatory 14-day quarantine. Right. Really can't afford to away from my work for two weeks. Uh, I hadn't been to see my people since March. Wow. Most of the, what, for me, it was like when everything happened, everybody was like freaking out. I was cool. I was like, man, I'm an introvert by nature because <laughs> this did not bother me a bit. Um, right. The only thing that I was worried about was like, cause like once I figured out a cool way, like getting up either extra early or going to run at night when nobody is really outside, I was straight. Okay. Um, 
and you know, we got FaceTime, we got you know, Zoom. We done did birthday parties on Zoom. You know, <laughs> you figure out a way. I mean, um, I do take it serious. I've lost quite a few people this year behind it. Yeah. Um, friends, couple family members. So I definitely take it serious. Yeah. But for the most part, I just feel like I have I have so many thoughts and conspiracies about this whole thing myself. <laughs> oh, you uh, sound like you about to yeah fit right in with us, man. We be out here talking yeah. about a little bit of everything, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, real quick, since you mentioned like the birthdays on Zoom and stuff, I just got to stop real quick because yesterday was my mama's birthday. Shout out to my mama. We did a Zoom party for her. it was pretty dope. Uh, yeah, we had the family connect through Zoom, so they they already they really loved it too. They already talking about we're going to do a Zoom thing for Thanksgiving now. So that's a, you know, and I know. Um, that's dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she really enjoyed enjoyed it. Shout out to mama. Um, so, yeah, I know it, you, uh, Jay, I know you know a lot of people that had birthdays in November, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, no, you don't want to shout nobody out. Okay. We'll keep it moving then. I uh, see what you're <laughs> 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 it's, like, it's so many it's so many people i got so many friends with uh november birthdays man right. like it's quite it's strange yeah um, yeah we talked about tell, that before telling them they not really special they just had uh uh valentine's day their parents had valentine's day sex because <laughs> it used to be i'd be like hey, why do i know so many people with bir- birthdays in november then i had to think about like the uh the science behind it, like yo, it's it's not just random. I was like, right. oh, so that's that's what I came up with. They just got it in. So pop pops ain't had no gifts, so he just you know. Right, he's like, yeah, <laughs> I got this gift for you right here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, man. So I got to talk a little bit about you know, um, in the wake of this you know extremely tumultuous election season, uh, as you know, uh, Joe Biden was officially finally officially declared the winner. Of uh, the election, he got the 306 electoral votes that he needed to, you know, secure that. And uh, you know, we talked about the whole electoral college thing and how that's um, a little bonkers. But uh, you know, shout out to Kamala Harris. Um, but yeah, so uh, in in the wake of all that, there has been this huge, and we've already discussed like this huge uh, f- sense of division in the country. And uh, this week, actually, this weekend, um, there was a march in D.C. And, and they were at first saying it was like a Proud Boys march or like a left wing, but there's all these groups kind of came together um, as as Trump supporters, right? And uh, uh, to get behind this dude and uh, march and try to say that, you know, the election was stolen and all this. And um, we, we could talk for hours about theories about all this stuff and, and why things are happening the way they are. But I wanted to speak directly to... Um, the march, and I'm looking at like footage from it, cause you know it happened in D.C. So a lot of our people that we know are out there, are in the middle of it. They posting stuff, they showing stuff, and I'm looking at all this footage. I'm seeing like, you know, this black guy on top of a car dancing, waving the Trump flag and stuff, and it's just, you know, it's in- interesting visuals coming from the city that I call home. And one of the things that stood out to me was um, how how much these people are united behind. Um, you know, uh, how they've made the idea of Trump, you know, transcend the person and become an idea, you know? And so people started to get behind that idea of this person and he's going to make everything good and all right and all this stuff and how people believe, really believe that in their souls. And I'm listening to these people do the interviews and talk about it. And um, 
I mean, I don't know. You, you think these people are just lost, or I mean, it's easy to get lost in this whole system because a lot of people are right. But uh, you know, the, the the driving force behind was was uniting all these different folks is this 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 guy that's like, if if you're going to support anything, why support like that foolishness? It's, it's craziness. And they say I ramble, and I guess that's kind of what I was doing. But it, it's just mind-boggling to me that so many people believe so wholeheartedly like i don't even believe in the system like mark i saw what you posted about like uh how you you don't really believe in the, the whole voting system but you just voted just in case and that's the exact sentiment like when you said that, i was <laughs> like yeah that's a, my like i went and did it just because you know i'm i might be wrong but i don't really know like this whole system is kind of crazy but just um like i said uh like so jay Seeing all the stuff in in this city, because I know like you consider yourself DC's native son, right? And uh, you know all the stuff going down, but you say you you ain't really you know um, give it any energy, right? Um, nah, man. But uh, I don't think it's so confusing as you making it. Um, you know what Trump represents is I think you were accurate, and like you know it's more so an idea now. It's not even the, the actual person. I don't even really think. Nobody really rocks with him personally, uh, but I think he represents. I think he's the personification of what America is, and I actually think that it was uh, it was a good. Um, uh, I guess it was a good litmus test for the country because I feel like Trump represents the true America. Like that's how America really is—a greedy, materialistic, murderous. Oh, that was my favorite two words in the Dave Chappelle. Uh, Saturday Night Live joint. Murderous whites. <laughs> Those are my two favorite words in that whole monologue. The murderous whites. Uh, because that's what America is, and that's just the truth. Yeah, I think we yeah. discussed on here previously how like people like George Zimmerman and Dylan Roof are considered American heroes. Um, and all of the cops that murder black people, they're rewarded. And it's, it's underground, so like the mainstream won't see it. But these cops, when they kill a black person, they get GoFundMe's with millions of dollars. And, you know, their families are taken care of, their kids are given college uh, scholarships, and their, their families are given pensions and everything, because that's the truth of how, not, I mean, and not just of how America feels, but how America operates. It's, it's right in plain sight. But, you know, we've been so indoctrinated um, with cognitive dissonance that we don't even acknowledge what's happening right in front of our eyes, to us, surrounding us every second, every millisecond of the day. And so I think um, the support for Trump is a sentiment um, that, that I guess previously was a bit more hidden, but since his presidency has, has come to the forefront. So I don't really see your confusion, Dave, as to why people would support him because, I mean, that's, you know, when you go to work, it's from people that smiling in your face and like joking with you and going to, you know, lunch room and have a coffee, but then at home, you know, they live a certain way. So that's just the reality of it. Yeah, yeah. I, it's not necessarily confusion. I definitely understand that that element of society exists, you know, and I'm not one of those people. Like, I remember um, it was a lady on the news talking about, uh, she was surprised to see that, you know, that, that he got the voter turnout that he did. And I, you know, I shared a sentiment with you of like, you know, nah, this is really how people feel. It's always been that way. And I'm surprised when people don't, you know, 
people are shocked by it. So, um, Jay, I'm going to get some thoughts from, uh, from Mark. Uh, what, what, what did you think about that? Have you seen any of the footage of, like, the march and uh, David? Man, America is such a shit show. I am so far removed from it. Like, no, no exaggeration. I posted this maybe, like, a, a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago was the very first time I've actually listened to Trump even speak this whole presidency. I've done a job of avoiding it the whole time. Because I'm just like, it's Trump, bro. Really? Yeah. That was who, like, the choice was? Yeah. I, just ta- I, just, I just tapped out, man. So I haven't seen any footage, but to the sentiment of people supporting Trump, um, I'm definitely not a supporter, but make no mistake about it, he was genius in his marketing. He went and spoke to the people that don't get spoken to. Damn. It's just like, it's, it's just like any other faction. Like, I look at it like a gang. When you go and you find the young boys that don't have any love or don't get shown anything and you speak to them kids, they'll do anything for you. Right. And that's all Trump went and did. He went to all of the little hick towns with people that probably never voted. We probably didn't even know that these people were there because we never seen anything from them. He went and spoke to them people. And they felt like he spoke for them. And they came out in record numbers to support him. But like you said, it's past him. It's the idea of this is our America. Right. It's just like, and look, I'm not shocked at anything that takes place in this country at all. Like when people be shocked about racism, I'd be shocked at y'all. Like, man, for real? <laughs> you really shocked that this is like yeah. this is America, bro? They never never thought to even see anybody else at, other than themselves as equal. I mean, they came over here and literally said they discovered some shit that was already in habit. Like, right. let's, let's just keep it a buck. Like, exactly. this whole yeah. shit with no murder, crime, and rape, pillage, and extortion. Was, that shit gonna be here forever. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I said that last week that that's, you know, kind of how it is, how it's been, and probably how it's gonna be. You know, uh, for the foreseeable future, at least. So, um, so Patrice, did you have any? Uh, you know, um, did you watch any of the footage? Did you see any of the people moving through the city? And uh, uh, no, I just I saw a little bit on um, on Instagram, but um, I, you know, I don't really I don't really follow any of that. Um, but I will say to both Marks and uh, Mark and Jay's point that um, Trump speaks to the divide in this country that. So many people um, either are oblivious to or just kind of have have turned a blind eye to it. And I think that is what uh, fuels all of the anarchy that we're seeing right now in the streets. Um, And I I don't think that it's over. And honestly, (laughs) I, I, I heard you say that Biden had been declared the winner.
say they didn't because some people say they did. Um, is is the stock market? Like nobody's talking about that. Um, uh, politics is directly linked to the money. You follow follow the money trail. Politics is right there side by side, and a lot of what's going on as far as you know the. the the virus in China and the stock market and the winner of the election, um, it's all, it all coincides. So I don't watch the dramatic piece that, you know, people on the street acting crazy. They're actually, they're right in line and doing exactly what everything set them up to do. They're emotionally imbalanced. They aren't, um, you know, they're, they're not balanced. They just, like Jay said, it's not even, I'm sorry, it's not even about Trump as the person. It's not about that. It's about the idea. So when someone is, you know, they're unbalanced, you know, you give them an idea and they take one over the, over the other and they run with it. If it's, a, if it's in line with their ideas, they run with it. But I think we need to start peeling back the layers and look deeper that it's not just about Trump or red and blue. It's about green. Um, and that's another thing that's fueling this race or lack thereof of a, of a, of a projected candidate. Right, right. Yeah, I think I um I learned that working, you know, uh, working the corporate America for a while and just seeing, you know, I worked for for Safeway and for a long time I worked, you know, at, at the register. I was in, you know, the stores and then for a while I had moved to the corporate side and saw like the stuff behind it and it's a completely different world from what you see. Um, on the retail side, when you're dealing with the people, so you know when you're dealing with the customers, when you're doing, when you're directly uh, dealing with customers, you see the side, and everybody assumes, oh, it's based on they they put this in this neighborhood because of black people, and this in this neighborhood because of white people, or you know whatever the case may be. When you get to that other side, you see the only color they care about is green, like they, that's all that they really move towards. So yeah, that's that's um, uh, extremely uh, accurate. You don't think so? No, I think there's always a, a, a racial agenda in this country. Uh, you know, I think the common thread that they want people to to collectively agree upon, like, oh, at the end of the day, it's, it's about green. But no, I think, you know, when any uh, executive decisions are made in this country in particular, uh, I think race is always a factor in every decision, every arena that there is. Um, so yeah, I mean, ultimately green, um, is the color that makes everything thrive. But I think in their ability to get green, uh, race plays a big factor. So I, I think, you know, um, they would they would want us to think that green is the bottom line. But that's just not my understanding of the political structure of this country. All right. So if I can interject, that is that's very true, and I believe that also. But the other side of that is. You know, the stock market is stems from slavery. Yeah, so, that's where it know, came from. That's that's my whole point. You know like, what I'm saying? Like, oh, it's right. about money like now, but the stock market yeah. is about race. Right. <laughs> right. So it's all that's what I'm saying, it's all intertwined. Like this. And the other part mm -hmm. is, you know, you know, bringing up the money thing, um, you know, you know, as you all know, we're moving to an all digital currency currency. And that's where the other part of all of the, the business side of this comes into play. So I don't know. I just think it's much bigger. That's why I don't watch the old um, Trump thing and all that. Like like Mark, I didn't even I didn't even hear Trump speak until 
he was on TV so much and he would he would drop names of companies and I would go look them up and like see where their where their stock was because I was like he was giving tips. Yeah, yeah, he was confusing. Yeah, I, I didn't, other than that, I didn't even pay it, you know, that, I didn't pay it a lot of attention. I think if we focus more on a larger, you know, on a bigger part of the game, see, some people are just focusing on, you know, the end zone, but you got to watch and see how the game is played strategically at every play. Is that a, um, is that a football every, every metaphor, play. Patrice? <laughs> <laughs> Throwing football metaphors out there. That's a bet. So, yeah, man, I don't want to <laughs> stay on this topic too long. But um, I definitely want to talk a little bit about um, the year 2020 is, is almost over. And um, a lot of people have remarked about how this year has been considerably harder um, on a lot of people. With all the stuff that's going on from the election that we just talked about to um, the virus uh, hitting us to, you know, the, the, the racial inequality becoming a... Um, something that's been at the forefront and put in a lot more people's faces. You know, it's something that's always been going on, but a lot of more people have been, you know, uh, become privy to it. People that have been able to ignore it um, in the past, it's kind of been thrown more in people's faces with social media and cell phone cameras and things like that and just, you know, putting it out there. So um, was there anything specific about 2020? And we'll probably go back through this again. Uh, we do our year-end show, but since it's close to it, I just want to talk a little bit about the year and anything specific uh, for you guys that happened that stood out um, as an event, negative or positive, that uh, kind of defined a year for you. Uh, Patrice, what do you think? Anything specific? I love how you be looking stuck when I ask you questions. <laughs> Almost dying <laughs> was my biggest event. Oh, yeah. You went through um, some medical struggles this year, right? Yeah, that was literally in the moment. As you, I'm thinking of it in the moment. Like, not knowing what was going to happen afterwards. That was my biggest event. And, and leading up to that, it's just the stillness that I think, I really think we were blessed with this year, a lot of people say, you know, 2020 was a wash, yada, 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 but I really think being still has been a blessing. Um, you know, me, like Mark, I'm an introvert. Like, I'm, you know, this isn't far, I don't even have cable, this isn't far from me on a day-to-day, and I think being still was a blessing because it got, you know, it got us to get close to the family in some instances and connect with friends or just really peel our own layers back and sit still with ourselves. Um, but then on, on the other side, when I came that close to, you know, um, to, to not making it, I I came out of it really reevaluating a lot, reevaluating entrepreneurship, reevaluating business, reevaluating how I move, um, and, and, and being more strategic about And, uh, and Mark, you have any specific situations or things that kind of define the year for you? Mm, well, first off, let's just say, uh, glad that you made it through everything. So. <laughs> Thank you. 
definitely. Um, specific situation. Nope. Just the whole <laughs> year as a whole, man. So much about everything. Like, if you didn't pay attention, if you did, you learned a lot about yourself. You learned a lot about your circle. You learned a lot about everything. Everything got revealed if you just sat back and watched it. Uh Everything. It was just like, wow. And reset. Man, we have a whole, like, okay, funny, funny enough. The reason that we call the record No Dope on Sundays is Sundays was the day the hustlers used to take breaks. Because if you hustling, 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 and you never take that break to take inventory and assess your situations, you don't know who's around you. You don't know where the danger is coming from because you haven't stopped to pay attention to anything. Uh. So that being still, reset. Now you can, like you say, entrepreneurship. Okay, cool. Well, all of this time, my job told me I couldn't work from home, and I can. <laughs> so much, like, it's, it's such a reset for me. Like, honestly, um, I've, man, 2020 was, the circumstances were quote-unquote terrible, but for me, it was a great year. Yeah, yeah. Because of, like, my spiritual growth and mm-hmm. what I've been able to reveal about myself. Like you say, I was being still, bro. I was in the house. I remember I got to a point and I called my mom and I was like, yo, you ever get to a point where you tired of your own shit? Like it just made me change a whole lot. Like a whole lot. Man, I just went deep diving. I was I read more in 2020 than I have in like the last 10 years. It's mm. been great for me. Like honestly, they talking about another shutdown. <laughs> and when, I, when this shit happened, man, for real for real, what what this what this shows is who's who, what's what, and who and, and if the cream is gonna rise to the top. Yeah. yeah. Shit, I was 2020 when the shit shut down and everybody was scrambling and panicking. I just went and bought a lot more guns. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we talked about that. Yeah, how gun ownership went up during the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So, get all over this motherfucking house. Come in here if you want to. Stamp. Look, some people buy toilet paper, smart people buy guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Jay, did you have any specific moments that stand out for 2020 for you? Anything, you know, like I said, good or bad that kind of define 2020 for you? Um, not really, man. Very similar to Mark, man. It's been a a, a year of personal growth, growth and spiritual development. Um, I definitely had the time to assess, like he was saying about uh, no dope on Sundays, to assess who was in my life and why, and um, what I thought I wanted in my life and why, and you know, it just forced me to question um, myself in depth. Uh, so I think the, the, the cliche statement is that, you know, 2020 uh, clears your vent vision. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think that has been true to life, man. Uh, uh, very similar to Mark, man, I've had an excellent year. Uh, despite, you know, the world uh, crumbling around me, um, but the development of myself and my family and my, um, 
my, my close friends. Uh, it's been real. It's been a beautiful experience, to mm -hmm. be honest. Uh, so yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm I'm happy and healthy. My my children are happy and healthy. Uh, you know, I, I, I had time to focus uh, on on my businesses and, and get everything in order. I've had the time to do it, you know, because with the with the pandemic, like things have kind of slowed down in regards to like how the world is operating and functioning as far as traveling and going different places. So I've had time to reassess basically almost everything and um, get a clear vision and direction of what I'm trying to do. But most importantly, um, the biggest lesson for me personally has been like knowing my worth and, and protecting my energy and my spirit. And and, um, and like what Patrice was, was uh, mentioning a little bit, just kind of just being grateful and uh, appreciative of being here and being, you know, of my sound mind, body, and spirit. Dang, yeah, that's dope. Yeah, and I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna talk too much about it because it's pretty much just echoing, you know, what you guys said about um, uh, taking time to really um, see everything more clearly. Uh, you know, that, that was a great metaphor, uh, like you said, about the uh, No Dope on Sundays, because uh, just taking that moment to evaluate your surroundings and get a better understanding of what's coming at you so that you can be prepared to, you know, take it on and, and handle it, whatever it may be. So that's so necessary. And, you know, it shows in people that don't take that time to do that, because even in this time, it was a lot of people who still was rushing around, you know, moving or even being more frantic. Uh, as opposed to taking this as, um, you know, I, what I think it probably should have been is, you know, like you guys say, the time to kind of step back and take a look at everything and see how things are moving and what you can improve on, what you can eliminate, what you can bring into your, you know, your circle and things of that nature. So uh, that's basically, uh, you know, what I've been doing also in this time. And and I'm, uh, I've been told that I'm an extroverted introvert. So, you know, I'm kind of a people person, but I really cherish the, my personal time. And so, like you guys said, this has really been, uh, you know, a good time for me artistically. Um, just just um, thinking and planning on different moves for the future, where to take different things. It's been really good. So, you know, I appreciate it. Um, you know, some of the stuff, e even some of the negative stuff that's coming you know, uh, my realm of understanding, getting deeper understandings of things like the, you know, um, this whole election cycle and what it's really said about our country or what it's really revealed that, you know, most of us have known for years, things like, you know, uh, the severity of the virus and, and, you know, how close it's come to a lot of us and things like that. It's really, you know, I try to look at everything as a learning experience and, and um, a chance to improve to, like I said, take what's coming at you and set up how you can move to to maneuver through, through life. So that's what it's really been. So I appreciate all of y'all's answer on that one, man. Really dope stuff. And I really think that, you know. Um, can I ask something? Sure, sure, always. Um, um, I think, you know, we don't, a lot of people don't even understand this. And I hope that you guys and just people that are listening that, um, you know, can, can vibe with this. But this, this has really given us an opportunity to really detach ourselves from somewhat of a system to really recreate our lives and how we move and how we make money and tap into 
spiritual, more creative side um, on so many levels because all of the things that we thought that we needed, we didn't need. All of the all of the things that we thought that we needed to do, we didn't need to do. And it could just kind of open the door, you know, people really sit back, you know, um, and open all three of their eyes and not just two. They'll understand that this is this has really been an opportunity of creativity to really just redesign your own life. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. Piggybacking off of that exact sentiment is why I pulled back from the industry. I declined everything that came to me. Mm. Like, nah, I don't want to do it. I want, again, once, once you sit back and you pay attention, you see everything. You see how people move. You see how the money move. You be like, ooh, yeah. I thought you was one of the homies. I pulled back from everything, everybody, reevaluated my situation, and now I'm in a space where I create my own ecosystem within the system. I dictate when and how my stuff goes. I don't even care about what, what they're doing no more. I be so in my own world. Like, I listen to music because I like music, but I don't care about the industry and whatever they're doing. Right. I'm my own industry. Oh fuck! What y'all doing? Right, stand, stand. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, since you brought that up, since we go uh, transition into this uh, this interview, which you brought up uh, liking music and everything, we always ask everybody, especially people who uh, you know are in the music realm, you know, um, and and then you also you know are, are well vested into hip hop. So um, we get we got to get your top five. Of all time? All time top five greatest. Oh, this is kind of hard. Because, okay, well, the only reason I say it's hard is I, I believe in not cheating. So everybody use Pac and Big. That's like an automatic two. Right, I don't right. even try to put them in my top five. They're in their own thing. So um, my, my personal favorite of all time is Jay-Z, of course. Hmm. Um... I mean, just for the sake of the argument, I'll say big. Um, three stacks. Yeah. That's three. Scarface. Face. That's four. And my fifth, honestly, it just it fluctuates. I don't really care about <laughs> the fifth. It's those four for me. Um, some people might say us. I'm, I, I love Nas. Uh, I love Common. Pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, man, I don't know. The fifth, I just never really dwelled on. It's like those four for me always, but it's always J Big, Scarface, and Free Stacks. Always. The fifth one is just however I'm feeling at the moment. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's a sentiment that's shared by a lot of people, like most of the industry people we ask. If, if not their whole top five, at least one or two of their top five fluctuates regularly because you yeah. know as, as people who uh you know uh, are interested in music and really you know take it into your soul you know and you really feel the music it changes you know this the, the thing that vibes you you know uh at one at one moment might be different but i mean it's it's usually a solid few people who who it changes yeah. between like for me like um you know, uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, like, well, the ones that change for me is like is the fifth spot, and it's usually between like uh, Red Man 
or like um, uh, uh, a meth, actually. Yeah, because uh, so, you know, they, they, they fluctuate back and forth. But it's a couple of my spots change. But, uh, you know, Jay, you want to go back through your top five? I, I know some of them. But, you know uh, my top five. Yeah, yeah. See if you can guess it, Dave. Uh, I know your your number one favorite rapper, and I'm gonna ask uh, Mark: Have you ever heard of a dude from DC uh, named Uptown XO? That name does sound familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's his number one. It's Uptown XO. Then I think it's what Pac. Mm -hmm. And then and I know Face is in there, but is he three? Yeah, that's, that's in order too. Okay. Uh, uh, uh... He leaving face out, man. I can't leave face out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, the only reason I, he's not in my top five is because he's definitely in the top ten, but just because I didn't get into, like, the face music until later on. Like, I was rocking with the Ghetto Boys back in the day because I'm that old. But, uh, you know, Faze's actual albums, I ain't really like uh, hey, man, the fix. You go, if you go back and listen to the fix. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Alone will make you put face in your pocket. Well, it, that's the reason he's in my team. Yeah, yeah. Late. That's where I really got on too. That's where I really got on it too. Was like that's the fix, but that one in the album before. Have you ever heard that man talk about heaven? Yeah, 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 yeah. His just... solidified face was the diary and untouchable. Mm -hmm. Those are the joints that got face his core, like loyal fans. Those two albums because he was. What he was doing at the time is he was articulating dealing with mental health issues. And we knew nothing about that shit in the early 90s. Like, we just thought, you know, get, get a Philly Blunt, get a 40, nigga, and, and go fight. Like, that was it. So, Face was like the first person that could articulate the, the mindset of a hood nigga who was really off the porch and, like, in it, but not glorifying it. Just basically like, yo, this is what my mind is dealing with while I'm out here doing all this wild ass shit. Can y'all relate? And niggas yeah. was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> on top of that, that no, you can't make the vibe. You can't tell a great story. When I right. heard a minute to pray and a second, oh. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I love this. Yeah, yeah. And, and my. So we got three. What, what we got, we need four and five. Okay. okay. So, the, so the clue for number four, Dave, is that he's in Mark's top five too. Stack three stacks. Indeed. Yeah. Woo! And, and then the last clue is that it's a female. Uh, Lauren Hill. Lauren. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Five. I'm not mad at that five at all. Yeah. That's yeah. Five. That's a that's a strong five. That's a strong five. Yeah. <laughs> I can't be mad at that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, dang, I forgot. What I was. Anyway, Patrice. Top five, who you got? We've asked you before. Uh, um, probably Jay Z, Scarface, Tupac. Um, I like Busta Rhymes. I like his new album. Um, the Roots of Busta. That new album is crazy, right? He has a plethora of classic albums. He does. Yeah. Um, and, um, Probably um, Erica Body. Okay, yeah. okay. She, she got that's some bars. Right. She definitely has bars. Yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I want to get into this interview and uh, uh, talk to you a little bit, Mark, about your life now. You know, what I like to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, okay, yeah. Well, 
Um, yeah, well, I told you uh, the, the the five that fluctuates, but uh, but so I put Pop at number one just because of his reach and scope. You know, um, uh, he's he's usually just because and and even though lyrically, I think Big was probably stronger. Than, it's a lot of people stronger than him, but not too many people have the reach and the scope and that um like jay was talking about that relatability to say do you feel me and a lot of people be like hell yeah i feel you nigga. you know so yeah that uh that just that puts him at number one for me because i don't think it'll ever be another rapper that i have another hip-hop artist another you know um a musical artist that i really have the you know they put him up there in the levels with you know um Elvis's reach for white people and, and, and you know and just musicians as a whole and people uh, some of the greatest yeah. you know some of the people that people consider the greats and you know and songwriting and his uh, relatability on a level with like a Stevie or a Mike or you know stuff like that so that's why he's uh, number one for me uh, so it's Pop uh, Jay uh, Three Stacks is in there um, and, and like I said mine fluctuates regularly so um, right now it's Black Thought just uh i've been vibing with that uh streams of thought is crazy and he's always like solid lyrically and like i said five is uh either red man method man sometimes it's scarface sometimes it's um uh not so much anymore but jadakiss strong really strong lyrically you know but i haven't heard nothing from him lately that really had me like damn i'm trying to think of who else uh it's a bunch of people i would have to do like a top 37 and a half you know (laughs) with a bunch of honorable mentions but uh (laughs) But but yeah man so yeah that's my that's my solid top five right there so um but yeah man I want I want to go back a little bit um because cause music is definitely um you know uh, before the time that you gain any critical acclaim start getting heard start getting listened to it's definitely a labor of love right it's something that um, you're not gonna stick with and really uh, do whether it's a hobby or a career unless you're passionate about just because of how much it takes to put into it. Um, so, um, where did your love for music come from? Like, where did that start? Man, um, shit, my uncle, rest his soul, he turned me on to hip hop when I was like, I had to be like five. Mm-hmm. And I've like in it ever since. Like, to the untrained eye, I seemingly look young, but nah, I mean, like, <laughs> I started listening to hip hop. Like, and I was listening to Dana Dane, EDP, but my philosophy is my favorite hip hop song of all time. Uh, I started really young, so just the love of it, like the, I was like, damn man, some people that really just can articulate how I be feeling, even as a young kid, or even just the style of it, like, man, there's so much memorable shit about hip hop for me, dog, like, Watch my philosophy video, dog. K- KRS One rocking the black cement Jordan threes. That is my favorite. <laughs> That's like my favorite of all time. It's just like '88. That was the year the Nike. Yeah. On the back. It's so it correlates with that down to like for my fashion. I mean the Adidas with Run DMC. Like yeah. that. That was it for me, bro. I was. I heard it. I was like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, everything. Yeah. I'm a. I'm a super fan. Yeah, that's that's dope. Yeah, and I think everybody kind of has that moment of those visuals that they remember. I remember like, uh, hold on, Dave. Where you where you from, Mark? Chicago. Are oh, you from Chicago? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we was in the middle of the map, so we got everything. 
Like, I was listening to everything at the same time. I'm like, whew, oh, this is great. Yeah, yeah, that's a dope cross-section. Yeah, yeah. Because if you're not, you know, in certain areas, you ain't get like, um, you know, in D.C., we ain't really get a lot of everything. You know, it was stuff that people ain't really listen to. I was lucky enough to have friends that uh, was going back and forth to New York, so I would hit mixtapes. You know, uh, you know, so old, early, early, like, uh, you know, uh, when I was in high school hearing, like, stuff that DMX did before he popped, stuff that, you know, Jay-Z did before he got famous and stuff like that. So it was it was an interesting time, you know, but but DC was really, you know, it's really heavy into go-go and, and stuff like that. So hip-hop kind of didn't really have that hold originally, I don't think. You know, right, Jay, I'm going to ask our uh, a DC, a resident DC historian. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, hip-hop caught on late in D.C. because of the go-go culture, the strong, heavy go-go culture, and our uh, infatuation with live instrumentation. So a lot of the songs that I heard eventually by, like, he was saying, like, Dana Dane and, uh, like, Kumo D and a lot of early LL Cool J, I heard bands performing first. And then when I hear the actual song on the radio, I'm like, oh, this nigga Kumo D stole the song from Junkyard. Like, the other way around, But a lot of people in my age range, like, had that understanding. Like, hip hop didn't really, it was, hip hop was probably more popular in Chicago than it was in DC in the uh, mid to late 80s. Uh, and we had stations that would play because I remember the old WOL would play uh, uh, early hip hop, Dana Dane, Kumo D, W Fresh. They would play that, but they, it was also like on a go go show. So you would hear that with Trouble Pump, with EU, with Air Raid, with Red Essence. But you know, so they would combine like hip hop was never, it's like, oh, like, yo, this is the new wave. It's like, yo, they doing some shit up in New York too that we can blend in with our go go shit. Wow. So it, was never like, it wasn't like a standalone, like, yo, hip-hop is blowing up. It's like, yo, hip-hop got intertwined in our already existing culture. And it yeah. kind of blurred the lines between, because I thought a lot of the uh, songs that the bands hit were original songs. And then I heard the original songs yeah, on the video yeah. later. Like, oh, these are where the songs came from. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. part of yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, you took me back with that W O L. Remember you used to take you used to take recorders. Yeah, you got to press record so you can make your own little mix. Yeah, tape. I don't know if y'all that old, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? When you used to have the top of the tape and put the tape on it to dub over the shit. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm from that. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> So Mark, did you did you start out rapping? You start out as a rapper, right? Yeah. Uh LL Cool J's on Bad Hour. Yeah. My uncle had my uncle had Technique twelve hundreds in his room because at the time my uncle was producing. Okay. So like I'm like six, seven, and he's at this time, like, you know, hip hop is new. So when they were doing talent shows around this time, nobody in the hoods knew how to produce, but my uncle did. Mm. So they would be the only crew that would perform with original beats. Wow. Everybody else, everybody's instrumental. So when he would leave out, I would sneak in his room. I put that out. He had his rope chain hanging up. I put it on like LL in the joint, no shirt, can't go. And I started to learn the words. 
And then one day he came home and I'm in his room, same routine, but I'm flipping the words to like fit me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, no rap. Can't, and I throw my name in it somewhere here, there, change up a line here, there. And he was like, oh, so you do rap? And I was like, oh, shit. And then he <laughs> told my mom, like, yo, I'm taking him to the studio. And like, I was going to studios and I was like seven, eight, which was the worst shit of my life because I just wanted to play. And these niggas in the studio, the one in the morning, I'm eight. I'm like dying over here. Right. <laughs> That's how I became, like, I started to rap. And then. I would sit under him and I would just hone that shit. And then like, I would be, I just got popping because of that. Like I would go to like my cousins and them crib for like the weekend and shit. Guys would come out, it'd be all the kids. Like we like 12, it'd be the dude 16, 17, come out, be rapping for the girls. And I'm like, man, I'm right. I rap better than all these suckers. <laughs> so yeah, to the point, like these dudes would be rapping. I remember this one dude named QT, he was nice too. He was rapping, had all the girls in the side in the circle. Like I'm like, ah, oh. my cousin who come get me is like, yeah, my cousin can eat you. Niggas is like, oh. I'm like, hold on, bro. I'm like, <laughs> I started rapping and it's like I got good enough to beat him. Like I was like 13, he was like 17, 18, and I beat him. So it's just like, oh, okay, cool. So I just kept doing it. Dope, dope. And so, um, so I know um, I started out rapping too and made the transition. And for me, it was because I couldn't afford the beats that I really, you know, all the tracks that I heard that I really wanted that people had, I was broke. And I, they was like, look, I want, I need 3000 for this. And I'm like, well, I can't get it then. You know, so I just, uh, I had a homie that was a producer. I was uh, chilling with him one day. I had my laptop and he had FL Studio, one of the first uh, versions of it. And I just basically, he had the CDs, you know, used to get the box with all the CDs in it. And I just started loading it on my computer. I didn't ask him or nothing and went home and learned it, you know. And so that was my chance. So how did you transition into producing? Um, It was high school. Um, we, would, um, we would go to people. Um, by this time, I had gotten into some trouble in Chicago, and my mom sent me to Augusta, Georgia. Mm. So... I, we would try to find people with beats that I could rap to, and we couldn't find anybody except this one dude. And you may have, if you follow me on social media, you've seen me mention him before. His name is Buck. Okay. Buck was the first producer that I ever met that had his own sound. Mm. Like, when you hear his records, you're like, okay, it's really distinct. So to run into this guy at 14 years old, with his own sound. Like what's crazy is I was playing his music for one of my homies like a couple of weeks ago and they was like, fam, all of this shit that's coming out now sounds like his shit back in 94. Wow. So, wow. Buck um, eventually took me under his wing and showed me how to produce because even what he was doing, it was a little different from what I wanted. Mm. Like he had his style was like a very creepy version of organized noise in 94. Okay. Yeah. Me, I was a little more sample driven and bass. So I remember like after a while, like once he upped his equipment, but got an MP, he got an MPC. And uh, I went over there to record a song over one of his beats. And I paid extra studio time for him to show me how to use an MPC. Mm. And then I would just go over there and buy time from him to make my own beats after that. Oh, okay. So I credit 
Freddie Buckwheat being one of the most instrumental people in me transitioning to being a producer because I knew what I wanted to rap over and nobody right. could figure it out. So I was like, fuck it, I'll do it myself. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there's a certain, uh, like, uh, synergy, like, within yourself that happens, you know, when you making your tracks and rapping over them. Like, it's it's a, a level of, 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 of artistic expression that happens that I don't think people who... And I mean, there's some people who are... You know, exquisite at rapping over other people's beats, and I've you know gotten tracks that spoke to me and been able to say back you know what I feel like the track was saying and really make great stuff. But I think some of the some of the best stuff that I've done was from me from start to finish because I felt it. You know, you put more into your own stuff. I think you know, so so that that's that's really dope. So I know before we uh you know started the 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 show, you were talking about you was retired. You not you not spitting no more. You not. Oh man, I've been stopped rapping. It's just not fun. Okay, okay. Yeah. It, it just is. It. I got. I got tired of it a long time ago, just because I understood the level that I rapped at. There was. I. At, you have growth. You go through growth. Like I'm in such a period of my life. Like man, I don't have the time to sit down and think of a witty ass punchline. I'm going to just tell you what it is. <laughs> no punches, bro. This is what it is. Right. So, like, I just I just kind of fell back for it. Producing is way more fun for me. Right. It allows me to do so much. Like, as a rapper, you're, you you follow your, your path. As a producer, fam, in one day I can go from being young thug to having to be Jesse Reyes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That challenge for me is fun. Like, being able to jump genres and shapeshift musically, that shit is fun to me. That's dope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, you, and you've done it, too. Like, you know, we went down the list of some of the people, you know, in the intro that you work with, uh, you know, and work with, like, Kiki Palmer from, uh, I didn't even know she was doing music. That's how out of the loop I am. But, uh, yeah, and it was... Um, it was, it was on the soundtrack, right? Uh, the Kiki Palmer record was actually a record for, it was her and my man John Connor, and then John started helping her co-write her album. Okay. And I, we did a few records, and uh, they got left on the floor, which is, you know, it happens a lot in the yeah. industry. Yeah. And that about it, you know, the experience was great. Right, right. So, um... So out of the list of all the people and all the people that you work with so far, do you have like a, a favorite? Do you have any piece that really stands out? Like, yo, this is the one right here. Like, this is a like a, a career defining piece or anything like that. Anything that stands out like that? Uh, no dope on Sundays as a whole, just because that was my first time executive producing a major release. Right. Like, you check credits. I'm on every record. Right. Right. I saw that. Yes. Um, <laughs> Um, it, even during that process, like I, I really had to play the executive role. It got to the point to where Sony didn't communicate with Saha and Saha didn't communicate with Sony. Mm. Saha would call me and I would ha I was the liaison. Like I remember getting a call from Doug Morris, who's like probably top three richest men in the music industry. Mm. Like him calling me himself personally, mm. like this. So that was just career defining because honestly, that gave me all of the game 
that I needed to break my own artist because I knew everything to do. And on top of that, I kept every relationship from having to talk to the people about clearing the samples, from going to people's estate to clear samples. I'm like literally talking to the folks they state like, okay, cool. Let me send you some flowers so we can get this sped up. <laughs> Let me take you to do anything to get this sample clear. Mm. So with that sentiment, like, okay, those same people I sampled, I could sample for my own artists and I have that relationship with them already. That's dope. So I kept all of that. And I'll say the Rhapsody Nina record simply because that's one of those records that it came out as perfect as I thought about it. Sheesh. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, those are like my two favorites. Everything that I've done. I've done some crazy shit. Right, right, right. So those are your favorites, but who was the most fun to work with? Like, who did you really, like, enjoy or just get a lot out of the experience of working with? Dr. Dre, hands down. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I saw that picture on your page of you standing with Dre, and I was trying to see if it was Photoshop, nigga. No, nah, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Nah, nah, nah. That was real. Yeah, man. So, my goodness, like, he's a legend. Like, as a producer, like, um, it's, first of all, just on some fan shit, is he as cool as he seems like he is? <laughs> man, probably, like, top three coolest black man in the world. Stan, I'd, Stan. I'd be like, I'll, I'll give it the whole Barack Obama then Dr. Dre. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy that's crazy did he drop any gems on you did you pick up any little wisdom from him oh man this will probably be like one of my first times ever like really talking about my relationship with dre um social media may have seen one two or three photos me and dre talk weekly maybe a few times a week sometimes he's become somewhat of a mentor for me. Uh, any Anytime I got questions about anything, um, he'll answer. I mean, the realest thing that I can honestly say about the man is I remember I called him one time and he didn't answer. And like a day or two later, he called me back and was like, yo, I saw your call. I meant to hit you back. Like, bro, you're a billionaire. You didn't have right. to call me. <laughs> you're Dr. Dre. Like, you didn't have to call me back. Like, right, right. I get it. But just, um, man, I learned, I probably learned the most from him just sitting in a room with him. It's, man, he'll tell you everything that you want to know if you ask. He's that type of guy. He doesn't hold it. He don't hold the game. Like, here's one of the craziest moments. Like, so we sitting here, we sit talking about what made him want to produce and all of that cool shit. And then it's just like, out the blue, he just like, yo, what are you doing in a couple weeks? And I'm like, nothing, what's up? He was like, I'm going to start mixing Anderson's album. You should just fly out and sit with me. I want you to see if you can hear what I hear when I'm turning the knobs. That's dope. That's wow. Cool. Yeah, like that, yeah. Like that's, that's our relationship, or it's like cracking jokes, betting on basketball games. That's, that's me and his relationship. But like what social media saw is just a photo. Yeah, like yeah. that it was like, man, me and his thing is ongoing, bro. Like it's it's like shit. I'm I actually gotta call him today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Glad you, but it, I I've never learned so much sitting with one. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 dope, man. That's that's crazy. So I think uh, you know, most people were really introduced to your sound 
on No Dope on Sundays. And, um, you know, so how did that relationship with Sai High begin? Like, how did you guys meet and, and get to work together? Man, that was funny. It was Twitter. Like, 2010 Twitter, when you can, like, get on Twitter and talk to anybody. Right, yeah. It was something. I don't even know how we got the man email, but we got it on Twitter. We started sending him beats. And he liked the beats. He would hit us back, like, yo, can you restructure the beat? Cool. This was when I was with my crew, the freshman. Mm-hmm. Cool, we restructured the beat. So, fast forward, um, a guy named Mike Grinkley ends up managing us. Mike Brinkley was also managing Saha at the time. Okay. We were in the office having a meeting with Brinkley and we was about to leave. And he was like, yo, y'all should stay. Saha is on the way up here because Brinks also had a studio in the office. We was like, all right, cool. So we sat around, kicked it. He came in. Brinks goes, yo, this is the, the freshman. Saha. He go, oh shit, I got crazy records to y'all stuff. We like, cool. Can we hear him? <laughs> right. We go in the room. He play us like five records that he recorded to our beat. And we set up a listening session the next day. Um, we did the listening session. He picked some records. And it just kind of became a thing. Then one day he called and was like, yo, I love the way that y'all really sample and put stuff together. So, you know, I really want y'all to help my project. And this is like Black History 2. Uh-huh. Mixtape. Yeah. I've been around him since like the ending of black history one mm. so we did a record we did like a couple records on black history too i was in the studio with these fools for like days literally mm. there was this one record that we did and we was like yo when this shit come out it's gone we knew it like you one so we leave the studio the tape was supposed to drop in like four hours we left the studio the engineer had finished mixing it uploaded the tape we had been in there for three days. No exaggeration. Like, when I say three, I'm talking about niggas go get food and come back. Yeah. Three. <laughs> I go home and take a nap, and I'm like, yeah, I'm about to wake up. The record going to be out. I wake up. That one particular song was not on the table. Oh, yeah. What the fuck? Oh, man. Yeah. Heartbroken. So... I hadn't even talked to him for like two months. And then like one of his partners hit me and was like, yo, so I want to meet with you tomorrow. So I'm like, all right, bet I'll pull up. And he was like, yo, I wanted to put the song on the album, but when I sent it to Ye, he was like, I can't release it. Like, he was like, it's, it's a big record. He was like, he also told me, he was like, man, whoever did it make sense if it was sound, stick with it. And that's when we went to start working on his Def Jam album. Mm. And we got like, done with that album and turned it in at that point. Like, Dang. He asked for his papers, went through a whole long process, and after that, I think I didn't see him for like three, three to four months, maybe. Mm. And he called me, and he was like, "Come to the crib, my mom is cooking," and I went over. And he was like, yo, I think I want to start doing another album. And I'm like, all right, well, shit, let's get to it. And we started working, and that was the beginning. No dope on Sunday. Oh, that's so crazy. We found each other for like years, literally. Okay. Like six years working together. 
yeah. So he came to know your sound and know that, you know, it fit with what he was doing. That's dope. That's dope. So, yeah. if, and from that relationship, you actually uh, did a couple of tracks on um, the Life of Pablo, Kanye's album, right? Uh, yeah. Well, actually, those were not um, not production credits. Those is writing credits. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I, so, I pulled out the pen. That was okay. Fun. So, is it like uh, can can we talk about it? Is it okay to talk about now, or is that stuff that you can't really go into? It depends on what you're asking. <laughs> Okay, so, so things I can't say, but you know. yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so yeah, we won't get into specifics, but uh, I mean, um, what was that experience like? So, did you get the you did you write specifically with him and sit with him and things like that with Kanye? Um, typically, nah, because the way that that process was working is so many people, and you know. He just, the way he bounces around is so crazy. So, I mean, I seen him a lot, but I just didn't sit in the room. And, because it's like most of the time, like, the the whole song concepts come from, like, we might just be sitting in a room and having a conversation. And next thing you know, you get a, a song with, with, with a rough version on it. And just got to kind of go over it, see what you would say in certain places. And bounce ideas from there and then, you know, it comes together. Right, right. He's a, he's a, I don't use this word loosely, he's a genius. Music, yeah, musically, I definitely agree that he's a genius. Like, it's stuff that he's done for music and for hip-hop, but then for music as a whole that can never be taken away. Can I ask you, and you can answer if you want to, or you we can go to the next question, like, some of the stuff, the more um, controversial decisions that he's made, like, um, what? How did you feel about like some of the, uh, you know, like the the maga hat stuff and all of that? You know, uh, did it change your opinion of him in any way or? Nah, just because it's like if you've been around him, then you know who he is. Right, right. True definition of a free thinker. He does whatever the fuck he wants, to do, even if it's an unpopular thing. It's like. People like that, you know, it, it takes balls to do that. Do I agree with everything that uh, he's done? No. Nah. Um, but on the flip side of that, it's a lot of what he's done and said that I understood perfectly. Clearly. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, two things. It's like, uh, prime example, I'll just give you like two of the things. And, you know, people when I said it, I was like, man, maybe I'm just crazy enough because I think a little different. Right. Um, when he said slavery was a choice, I, I understood exactly what he meant. I understood it perfectly. You have a choice. Slavery? Death. Most people don't choose death as an option. Secondly, it wasn't the fact that he said that, it was where he said yeah yeah you don't say that in mixed company right. because what you did was gave those folks the ammunition to tell us that we chose to be slaves and you gave those they flipped it yeah us to get over it because we chose it right now right. said that in a room full of niggas we'd have known that that meant we gonna fight versus let these folks take us yeah it was yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. 
And so like, I'm go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. And thing, like I say, I think a little different, and it might be a little radical. The 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 what did he say? The Harriet Harriet Tubman didn't black people. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say uh, we've had discussions about that, Mark, and about how that's kind of true. Jay, didn't you? Uh, did you say something about that? I, I, I just I, I'm gonna ask a question. Do we consider ourselves free to this day? Stamp, and that's the that's the whole mentality. And but more specifically, how um uh she was moving them to a different place to work for different white people, and that and that's true. But like you said, in the place where he said it. It wasn't something, and not even in the place where he said it, because there they were taking it, but because it was recorded and broadcast and people had a chance to flip it and add their own thing to it. And, you know, so that, that's what kind of made it uh, more of a salacious statement and reason for people like, oh, he's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But, yeah, and then him not being able to put it, you know, in, in, in the words that it should have been put in. That's his main problem. He needs a translator. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> always seem like he's that type of thinker he's the type of person you can't take a sound bite and you can't take a audio clip or you can't look at just one to two tweets to understand his thought process you might have to read his twitter for two months to understand what the fuck he was really trying to say right because right, he's right. terrified he's literally there are people that think so fast and he, i've heard him say this he thinks so fast that if he doesn't say it, he probably will never say it. Right, right. It'll be gone. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. that this same shit is the same energy he said George Bush doesn't care about black people. Exactly, exactly. If he, he said it. He was like, if he'd have thought about that, he wouldn't have said it. Right, right, right. And Jay-Z kind of echoed that sentiment. Well, on the Breakfast Club, when he was talking about Ye and how this is the same energy that, you know, Jesus walked and things like that came from. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, but I don't want to make this interview about him. Like, shout out to Ye, but we talking to you, bro. So I want to get into, uh, you know, uh, some more of the stuff that you've done. And um, I know you've uh, probably worked with, um, you know, some more people or or have you? Because I know you said you've been turning down a lot of stuff and kind of going through a period of, of, of sitting back and resting. So you haven't done much in 2020? Mm-mm. I think um, I, I've only been in the studio with two artists this year, this entire year. Um, Light Skin Keisha and Big Crit. Okay. That's yeah. it. Yeah, Big Big Crit is dope, man. Like, uh, actually, Jay uh, Duff put me on the Big Crit. I didn't even know who he Duff was. Put everybody on. The yeah, Big yeah, it's an artist from here named uh, Dave Duff, and he was on Big Crit early. So, uh, what was that process like uh, working with him? Was it just sending them beats, or did you actually get the work? You know, work with. Nah. Him? Pull up. Let's sit down. Let's shit. Let's go to dinner. Let's let's run. Let's we have real conversations and talk because that's the stuff that makes the music easy. Like, so when we go to the studio, it's easy. We know each other. Like, it ain't a hard. We go in there, and it's like, what do you want to do? How do you feel? Like, let's talk. How was your weekend? And usually in the conversation, I'm I'm putting the playlist together as we're talking because you're telling me exactly how you feel. Right, yeah. So I might have skeletons yeah. that I started. So I'll be like, okay, 
how does this one make you feel? Okay, cool. I, I like that. So while he's writing to the joint, that's when I'm finishing the beat. Oh. Or I'll, he records the verse, and I'll be like, all right, cool. Give me the give me the session. Let's produce it now. Um, I, I don't like sending artists. I, I re- at this point, I'm, unless I really have to, I'm not you shit. You got to pull up. We got to talk. How am I going to know what to give you if I haven't had a conversation? Right, right, right. I record on the wrong day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got to pull up. We got to talk. We got to have fit in a house and work 30 hours making a record for somebody to send it to them. Never had a conversation with this person, so I don't have a connection with the person. Hell, I just wait 30 hours trying to get Not happening. Yeah, yeah. And so I was going to ask what um what differentiates between the artists that you would actually, that you just send stuff to as opposed to the ones that you want to connect with. But you kind of said it's, it's that's more the rule now. It's just to, it's to connect with them and get that vibe, you know, because I know a lot of just because we live in such a digital world, you know, it's so easy to just, you know, uh, make tracks and have your catalog and have people sit through, oh, I pick this one, pick that one, or even, you know, send them snippets and let them pick or whatever the case may be. But um, I think that uh, we, we've lost a lot of that artistry of actually sitting with somebody and getting the vibe of, you know, really producing an album, as a, uh, really producing a, a, a full song, as, as opposed to just producing a track and giving it to them and letting them do the song. They've lost the art of post-production, you know what I'm saying, of getting somebody to rap yeah. over and then sitting with it and being like, okay, it needs some more hi-hats right here. Maybe some strings right here bring it in, you know, stuff like that. People don't really take put that time into their artistry anymore. But um, so, yeah, yeah. Man, I, I came up off the grapes, man. We didn't get Thriller from Quincy sending Mike records. Right, right. Yeah. We didn't get Blueprint from Pharrell and them sending Jay records. Nigga, they had to literally go pull up on Jay and make these beats. Like, yeah. You know, that's when you get the greatest bodies of work. That's why everybody's stuff sounds so weird now. Because you're getting beats out of the email. Artists is jumping on social media like, send me some heat. And, you know, Nick doing it. I'm not right, about right. to send it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, like, now the few artists that I do send records to are the artists that I have a report. Because nine times I aren't because I know you. So when I'm in the studio, I have a board and my board literally only has four or five people on it. I don't even make, I don't even go to the studio to just make records. Like how producers be building cattle. I don't do that shit. If I don't have anything specific that I'm working on, I'm not making anything. What's the point? Like, what is the point? I'm gonna waste my time doing. Yeah, yeah. So, Mm-mm. so is there anything that you worked on uh, that hasn't dropped yet that you're excited about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's okay. So, uh, <laughs> 2020. Uh, like we we said earlier, it was the year of revelation, the year of revaluation, and the re- year of resetting. In that, um. I said it earlier, like, I pulled back and started to create my own ecosystem within the system. Mm-hmm. 
one of the greatest gems that I got from from Dre was do the great thing. I mean, as a producer, bro, and this is no shade to any other my my fellow producers, nothing like that, man. But until you break something, did you really do it? Like, if you name if you name your favorite producers, they broke something. Timberland, Missy, yeah. Genuine. You feel me? Yeah. Dre, end of new. 50. Um, Clips. Police. Yeah. Just Blade. Kanye. They Kanye broke himself. Yeah. Eddie Riley. God. Kumo D. Keith Sweat. Like, you gotta do the great thing. Organized noise. Outcast. All of the great did the great thing. So at that point, that's when I was like, man, let me do the great thing, man. It's all about legacy for me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Did y'all watch the Dave Chappelle joint on Letterman? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His interview with yeah, Letterman, yeah, that was dope. And Pete, when he said he started to do it for the livelihood and nothing else, is when he became his greatest self and everything started to work. Mm-hmm. Bro, I came down and I was like, nah, this Oh man, I started making like y'all ain't heard nothing. I'm making the best music of my life right now. That's dope. I have an artist named Dante Higgins, and we're about to drop a project called God Told Me to Do This. And that is coming. Yeah. And yeah. that is and that and and, it, and and that happened within one week. Mm. Just the energy of everybody being in the same space, the same mental space at the same time. So I'm super excited about the stuff that we're doing as far as like my crew being God. Like other than that, like man, like, I'm really on slow, like my crew will die. Yeah. <laughs> roll, roll with it and get rolled over, fam. Yeah, yeah. So so you talked about um that that feeling with the um with the Sci High record that didn't originally get get placed on the uh, the mixtape, have you ever had uh, any other joints or like on, on this level of the game had big joints that you was like, man, this the one right here, this the hit, and then it just ain't do it, or or that came out and you heard it and was like, this ain't the one that I thought it was. <laughs> have you had any like that? It happens. You hit them records, you like, damn, I, I could get X Y Z and right. that didn't work. Or it always be the ones that get left on the floor that you be like, oh, we to push the button on that one. Mm-hmm. My man, some super, super legendary, crazy records that are just sitting in the vault that I have to wait for. Like some shit that if it dropped today, it could change the scope of my entire life, but I just have to wait on it. Wait yeah. to see if it. Right, right. And that's one of the yeah. tough things, right? It's like some of the stuff you don't even have to like, even if you wanted to put together like a, a compilation and put it out, it's legal stuff in there that's like, nah, you can't do that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Listen, whoa, woo. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, man, the archives. Is, I'll go so far as to say the archives is crazier than my entire discography. That's a Wow. Yeah. The archives are incredible. 
That's dope though when you got that kind of a, a, a bench when you got that kind of a, you know what I'm saying like a team behind you that haven't Man, even come out yet. I wish I wasn't on paperwork for most of this stuff so I could just tell throw it out. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. It's Woo. all good though. I'm I'm sure we'll hear. There's no. I spent countless nights, weeks, months in LA for years. I and I said that I work with. Some of everybody. So, so hey, speaking of LA, real quick, I know um, Jay has done some work in LA, and he talked about that. And I've been out there, but only in short stints to do little, a few little things. But uh, just the the vibe out there, and you being from Chicago, uh, which you know is not that much different from the DMV really as an area, but LA is like I, a whole different world. You say what? I used to live that way though. I used to live in Baltimore for and like be more right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> rapping. Okay, okay, yeah. So, uh, but LA is like completely different, right? Like, what was your take of the whole scene out there? Because I know Jay paints a picture of it that that's interesting and like how oh, different it is, the culture and wait, stuff. Hold on, paint the picture for me, and I'm gonna tell you if I agree with it. Nah, nah, nigga, you can't use me as a crutch. We need to know your picture. <laughs> <laughs> LA is weird as fuck, bro. <laughs> that's pretty much what it was. That's, yeah, pretty, that's pretty much it. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty accurate. I, like seriously, it's weird as fuck, bro. Like that's that's the that's that's the punchline. That shit weird, bro. Mm. Like weird shit in LA. Like I, you know what? Mm. And I was gonna I was gonna move to LA, like. Every time I get ready to move to LA, some shit happened, like some life changing shit. And I'd be like, that was my sign, bro. <laughs> like I was gonna move last year, like everything was set. I'm talking about, nigga, I picked out the crib, everything was golden. Nigga Nipsey died, I was like, I'm not going out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be nope. fine, yeah. Pop Smoke get killed, I'm going out there. Obi, I'm not going out there. The fires, ha I'm not going. Yeah, the fires is like every single time though. I got ready to make that. It, I wasn't. My spirit won't allow me to go there to live. That's a weird ass place. Like yeah. really, I, I hate it. Like to be honest, mm. like I literally owe oh, my work. Get hell on. Only hang around. I went out there one time and I had so many sessions lined up. And I got to like my third or fourth day of sessions and people started leaving out of town for whatever reason. So I had like four days of free time. That was the most boring free time ever. <laughs> I was like, once you go to the beach, it's a wrap. There's no real culture, gang culture. Mm. It's weird, man. It's a really weird place. That's why they call Hollywood, Holly weird. <laughs> it is so to, to to your point, man, I guess the picture, picture that I painted that they're talking about is that very much what you're saying. They didn't really have a a, a culture per se, you know. But mine, I'm coming from DC. Well, like like they said, DC and Chicago very similar environments. I just I had never been around so many people in a superficial setting. Cause you know if you're in Chicago or DC or Baltimore, like it's real niggas all over. It's a lot of bullshit yeah. niggas, but you going it's easy to find like real, real, real niggas. You know what I'm saying? Whereas though in LA, I had to like search. So it's like 
because I was just very much like you. I was out there on business, so I was just in studio. I was doing TV production, so I was just around that demographic of people. And it was weird. I was like, yo, this shit weird as fuck. But I did find like some 100 homies and down in, uh, what was that, Inglewood and like the Dara Heights. And, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, they do exist. You, you gotta go to the I go to Inglewood. Yeah. I, I usually stay by the airport so I can be close to Inglewood. Exactly. I can feel like there's real people out Inglewood is the saving grace of Hollywood. Like, I always, like, I go to, it's a restaurant in Inglewood called Service Pool. I don't even go to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles because it's so touristy and it's so fake. Mm-hmm. I go to school. These niggas serve Kool-Aid in there. It's always, like, all of the hood LA that done been in movies and shit, mm-hmm. they all Service Pool. So I be like, I come, I get out, huh, check in with the homies, like, nigga, I'm in town. I stay out that way just because it's just like, this is the closest thing to real as I'm going to get. Yep. Like, wow. crazy, like, you know, people see Crenshaw and be like, I don't want to go over there. Nigga, after two days in L.A., you have to go over yeah. there. Just I, remember, feel- I remember I was at the swap meet for, like, four hours, and the person I was with was like, you ain't trying to leave yet? I'm like, nah, let's chill a little bit, a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I, went to, I went to the marathon store. Bro, I kept, like, I was over in that area. I found reasons to go back. Like I left. My my bro called. I was like, "Oh, you want a hat? Cool. I'm doubling back." <laughs> <laughs> like you know what? I want the blue and the gold. Doubling back. <laughs> that was the that was the really shit ever. And my my little brother live out there, so that's dope. And he's staying in the sixties, so I felt comfortable over there. I was like, "I'm gonna go hang." But if you got if you got business though, you good. Cause you know, like if you just got sessions lined up and you know, go get food, like you can survive. But like you said, that four days when you wasn't working, you was probably like, what the fuck? <laughs> I stayed in my hotel. I was like, yeah, because you man, it's so much to that city that you like like you say, like get around that stuff, you really will be like, Man, I don't want any of this. Like none. I don't want to hang out with these people. I don't want to be around you people. No, Mm-mm. that shit weird as hell, man. That's why I'm like, I love going out there to work with Dre because he keeps us in the studio for 13 hours a day. We don't see nothing else. So everybody in the room got to be some real niggas to be around this nigga. So he's just in the room for real niggas for 12, 13 hours. That's cool. Stance, stance. Hey, real quick, real quick Dre question. Uh, before we get back to the interview, uh, are we ever going to see the detox? I'm not at liberty to speak about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. That's the legal. So, uh, so uh, we're running a little on time, but I do want to talk some about your um, uh, the work that you've done. Like I said, uh, you know, you've been inspiring your followers with that um, I Deserve It initiative. Uh, I see you got merch with it on there. You got t-shirts and stuff with the I Deserve It. So can you talk a little bit about what that is and where it came from? Uh, man, um, it started to be kind of like fitness based at first, mm-hmm. just because I was way bigger. I was like 270, 275. Um, so my homies got me like into running and then I was just like, man, in order to just, you have to make complete lifestyle changes in order to just be better. And that's like, your health, your thinking, uh, uh, that's a huge part of it, is just how you think. 
and that transcends into your health. So after workouts or runs, I would tell myself that, or like even before to motivate myself, I would be like, yo, I deserve to treat myself good. I deserve to treat myself well. I deserve to treat myself better than I have been treating myself. So let me get my ass up and go run. Let me get my ass up and go to the gym. So that's where the initial thought came from. And then it's like, when you think about it, and it's like, you know, when you they say when you have faith, you know, you just let go and let it, you let it work. But the other thing is faith without works is dead. So as much as I would tell myself, I had to get up to work for it. You so then it just became the first thing that I would post. Like I would literally wake up, roll over, grab my phone, post it because now I'm holding myself accountable too. So now if I tell y'all this, I gotta get up to it. Let me go get active. And it just became a it became an everyday thing and people started to gravitate to it. I remember at one point I stopped. I, I didn't post it for like days. And I started to get messages from people like, yeah, what happened to the post? I was looking forward. Like my mom even reached out one time and was like, "Yo, you haven't posted it. What's what's going on?" Like I I needed that. For my, I'm like, "Oh, okay." So then, you know, like with the hoodies and stuff. Like the first time I I just tossed it on a hoodie just because I wanted a hoodie to run with because it was getting cool out. And I remember running and somebody stopped me and he was like, "What do you deserve?" And I was like, "Everything." Mm. And she was like, "Me too. Where can I get that?" And I was like, "Damn." You know, this does inspire people further than, you know what I'm saying, just telling telling them something. Like the merch, I honestly, man, it wasn't even about making a dollar off of it. It was about just keeping inspiration around. Like if you constantly see the message, I was wearing a hoodie for other people. Not myself, because I told myself this before I left. Now, when I'm running, it might be 20, 30 people that didn't tell themselves that they deserve it and don't realize that they do until they see that hoodie. Right. So that's what it became. It just became a motivational piece. That's dope. That's dope. And so, yeah, like I said, you've been inspiring people. I know that's how um, uh, my my original co-host, Aisha, you know, that's how we met through her because she, she followed that. And before she, uh, I think before she connected with you, she would talk about that. You know that aspect of it that i deserve it and that mantra and just you know how inspirational it was so uh it's definitely so it's dope to think that something that you was doing just for yourself was able to reach people and kind of put them put them in a position to do better for themselves and, and speaking that you know that fitness life i know you heard uh patrice was was co-signing because that's her thing she's a uh, personal trainer and fitness guru uh, uh, she has uh, Fruit Fit, which is her uh, fitness company. Fruit yeah, yeah, and they do a lot uh, in this area in that motivating people and keeping them, you know, um, keeping them structured. And like you said, a, a, a lot of her stuff is about that, that changing that mindset, you know. And so, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yes. So I just want to chime in, first of all, to say congratulations on your weight loss. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, you said you were 270? Mm-hmm. And where are you now, if you don't mind me asking? 185. Okay, awesome. That's almost 100 pounds. That's awesome. Congratulations. So, one of my, so my company is Fruit Fit, but my hashtag is Healthy Living Beyond a Gym. 
because so just as you just spoke about like the first thing you did when you rolled over was you know you posted but then I'm sure over time the first thing that you did was to take care of your body every single day you did something for you right mm -hmm. and so that is the that's the part that is so difficult for so many people to understand. It's not even about, you know, how many reps you did and how much weight you lifted. It's about waking up every single day and saying to yourself, you know what, today I'm going to do something to show gratitude, not just to speak it, but to show gratitude. So that's one of the reasons, like, right now I'm down at the party every day because I had my, you know, my health out, uh, you know, in July. Um, I almost lost my leg, and so every day I get up, and I'm like, even though I can't work out right now, every single day I walk. I don't, it's, it's 45 degrees. I was freezing sitting there talking to y'all to try to come to my car, mm -hmm. but every day do something. So I, I would like to get one of those one of those sweatshirts. I think you said you said it says I deserve it. Yeah. Okay, so I, I'm I'm going to check into that. I know you're going. <laughs> Give all your information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we'll get you connected. Dave, 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 Because uh, we talk on this show about the, the disparities with mental health in the, uh, in the black community and how it's kind of been overlooked for a long time. It is coming out more now as, um, you know, uh, as people progress and put more focus into it, which is a good thing. But it's not anywhere near where it needs to be, you know. And um, it, it, with all the stress that's put on us these days, with, like I say, everything's been going on from 2020 to forever, you know. Um, you know, it's something that we definitely need to. That's why. That's why I share so much on, on my social media as far as like my work. Empty suicide three different times. Wow. Guy had a big plan for me. Yeah. I know that. How about talking about it? Because I know that it may be somebody in the career right now feeling the same way that I felt at that moment. Like, bro, don't give up. Trust me. Gotta see it through. Trust, take it from somebody that's been there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I see quite a few messages people that told me that they were like in that mode where they wanted to until they read what I was saying about myself. It was like, man, that was the that was the motivation pushing. So yeah, like man, I, I, I'm a huge advocate of that. I'm actually writing a book about as far as like from the mental and spiritual aspect of it. Also with that being said, like point of my career where I had zero faith, like literally able to say out loud like man i don't believe in god and that was like great yeah yeah 
I'm, I was very huge. And bottom line, man, I know what my purpose is. Right. Music is my gift. It, it, it makes sense of my purpose because, you know, without it, would I have, would, would I have without the audience of thousands of people to say this stuff to, to try fire to try to know my purpose. It's just a bit. Right, right. Yeah. So do you have a, uh, a title or a projected release date for the book that you're working on? No release date, but uh, I don't live at Crawford West House. It was a thing past rhythm. Okay. That's I, I wanted to do that because it's like everybody has to be fast. And depending on what fate, it takes out. You know what I'm saying? Where we ultimately go. So if I what for those that are on that road to take those turns that I took, and I'm telling you this is how it ended up. You might want to go the other way. Right, right. I said I was going to a book like that, and I was going to fight a chapter after a hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I've already started the book. I can't say when it's done. Wait for Right. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm not going to keep you on because we'll talk to you till tomorrow. But uh, <laughs> this has definitely been a, a dope discussion. I do want to, uh, there's two questions that I always ask every guest that I want to ask you. I always enjoy the, the, the answers that I get from them. It's always introspective. And the first one is, if you had an opportunity to talk to young Mark Bird, if you could get in a time machine and go back in time and, and, and meet 12-year-old Mark Bird, and look him in the face and have a conversation with him. Like, with everything you've gained now, all the wisdom, all the knowledge that you've accrued over the years, what would that conversation be like? What would you say to him? Damn, that's a good question. I know. No, I'm just <laughs> And I say it's a good question because I'm, I'm a firm believer in I wouldn't change my path at all. So I don't. Because anything that I tell my young self will alter what I do at that point. Right. I, I guess to, to keep it like in, in that light, I would I would just tell myself to set more boundaries. Mm. Yeah. That's a super important lesson I've learned over the last few years, actually. Like not yeah. like the last few years learning about boundaries and the, the people that of uh, every book I have called Who's in Your Room. Mm. It's like you. We all have this one unique room, you know, regular size room, one door, one way in, one way out. But the neat part about this room is the people that you allow in can't leave out. Who's in your room? Are there in the room that don't need to be there? Like who has access to you that they shouldn't? That those boundaries, because without setting those boundaries. You allow so many distractions into your life, as well as you allow so many distractions into every relationship that you have, being in friendships, being in actual relationship, being in family. Because mm -hmm. you dictate boundaries to people. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's a very adult thing, too. That's a real, like, that's something that you come into. Because for most of your life, just because 
the, the way people move in and out of your life, you don't even realize that you have the power to kind of restrict or uh, dictate who has access to you. So that's something that you learn over time and learn how their energy affects you and how you should let it or not let it affect you and things like that. So that's a dope one, man. Like I said, I always like the answers I get from that because uh, a lot of people, people you know, it, it forces you to get kind of introspective because you're not talking to somebody. You This is what you would tell yourself, you know. So that's interesting. And, and the other question is, um, and this probably pertains to you more than probably most of the people I've asked it, just because there's so many people out there who see the music industry as, as you know, um, first of all, there's people who love music and so who can't think of doing anything else, but also there's the people who just see that as a way out or uh, a way to get rich or anything. It's a lot of people that want to do what you do on, a, you know, musically and in life and everything. Uh, so, but let's go specifically with music, with producing. Like, uh, what kind of advice would you give, like when young producers come to you and, and want to talk to you about producing, what's, what's the best advice you could give them? <laughs> I used to always start like whenever I had to do like yeah, those kids that wanted to get into music. I used to start every conversation with, "Are you crazy enough to do this? Doing this shit is really the definition of insanity." Yeah. Literally doing the same thing over and over, hoping for different results. You have to be super super strong mentally and you gotta be I, I, of course I can't say this to kids but you gotta get you, you gotta know when to say fuck it mm-hmm. meaning you gotta know when to say fuck it I'm gonna do my thing and you also have to know when to say fuck it I've had enough mm-hmm. I don't know nobody that does music that hasn't quit before right yeah yeah not one scene. Not one. So, with those two things being said, the underlying story is stay true to yourself and do your shit. Because as long as you stand true to yourself and doing your shit, you'll never get to either one of those fucking moments. If you're strong. Yeah. I, I have one. Or, but once I started doing what I do, Living for my livelihood, nah, I never have another fucking moment. Bro, I'm great. That's cool. I'm great. Right where I'm at, I'm cool. I don't care what they think. As long as I can do what it is that I'm doing, creating my ecosystem within the system, I'll never have another fucking moment in my life. That's dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so build, the, have those fucking moments with the goal of not having them anymore. Exactly. That's dope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to experience it. Because yeah. if you're not going to know the boundary, you're not going to know when to say enough is enough. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a dope way to end it, man. Definitely, man. Hey, brother, I appreciate you. I know you a busy dude. Well, maybe not as much as I thought right now because you say you're not doing much. But, <laughs> but no, nah, I know you're a busy dude, man. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming through and rocking with us today. Um, Anytime, man. You you good people. Your co-hosts are great people. I had a great time. I could have stayed on another hour or two. Oh, okay. Well, let's go. No, no, no. I was thinking about I might do it tomorrow. I, because the anniversary of No Dope on Sundays is tomorrow, mm-hmm. three years old. So I might go live and just 
answer any questions that people want to know. I might even play alternate versions of the record. Okay, okay. That, woo, if you heard the album, there's a song in there called Trick Me with mm. 2 Chainz. All I'm going to say is the original version was a Zaytoven beat, and that motherfucker went crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Y'all definitely, if you don't follow Mark, he's saying get on there. Because, uh, yeah. Oh, so definitely, where can people follow you on uh, on the gram, on, you know, social media? Man, all of my social media is the same. I am Mark Bird. It's every, it's I A M. M-A-R-K-B-Y-R-D. That is Twitter, that is Instagram, that is Facebook. That is my website. It's literally all the same. I yeah. keep it I, that easy. That's a bet. That's a bet. And uh, and Patrice want to know where she can get a, a hoodie from. The web. Iamarkbird.com. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a, uh, I know she ain't going to say it, so I'm going to put a petition in. So maybe you might, you know, send her a, 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 a headband or something with "I deserve it" on it. You might. Uh... <laughs> I, I definitely, I, I, I definitely some, get her something cool that ain't nobody else got though. Oh, okay. So I got, yeah. I got right. a cool got some cool stuff over here. Okay, cool, cool. So, I, yeah, yeah, I'll I make that happen. I set up a little. Uh, and I want to to your fitness page too. Like, I definitely want to follow that, and you know that. Within the community, as far as like that goes, because you know I'm passionate about that. And uh, Dave was telling me about the music you did. Some music with uh, Big Sean. Yeah, I went out there uh, earlier this year, um, doing his creative process, worked on a couple joints. But again, very much like you were saying, uh, the stuff I worked on didn't make it. <laughs> but it was a process. It was it was a good, you know. It was good to, to be in the creative process. I was in there with uh with him and Hit Boy, uh, working on a lot of their joints. So uh yeah, it was it was it was a good experience. That's dope, man. I mean shit, man. Like you say, man, most of the time it's really about the experience. Right? Mm -hmm. The added bonus. But the stuff yeah. that the, the, the takeaways and the stuff that you learn in them rooms be because man, you know how many people want to be in that room? Yeah, and it was good vibes too. So it's like I wasn't really upset at the uh, that they got left on the table because the the vibes and the creation process was genuine. You know what I'm saying? It was yeah. it wasn't that superficial vibe like in LA that we was talking about. Like we was actually in there, you know, um, talking about some real things, going over some real direction. And you know, as you know, um, the artist has one perspective, but then they got to run through the label and all the other people, and if it makes sense or not, and all that stuff. So, but I knew that going in, so it was still a good look. Hell yeah, and that's a room that I haven't been in, and I wanted to be in. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Oh, um, I know you do um, the um, uh, the you um, had the thing where you would have people uh, you know send you tracks and you would listen to, and it was a uh, oh, yeah, like, yeah. Do you do you still do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do it. I just hadn't. I haven't been promoting all of that stuff. I've been doing it. Damn it. I hate you. <laughs> And like that, but, you know. I feel you. I feel you. That was a kind of personal question because I got some joints that I want you to hear and give me some opinions on. <laughs> yeah. No, we, like, that's why I haven't promoted any of my products because it's just like, man, the world is before our eyes. Like, 
like you said, we we transitioning to digital currency, so the money all fucked up. I didn't even feel right trying to sell people shit during this time. Like, mm-hmm. even though I'm a consumer and I was still buying shit, I didn't even feel right trying to sell people stuff, like at all. Yeah, just yeah. didn't even feel good. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, but yeah, we still active. Okay, okay, cool, cool. So, like I said, I am Mark Bird is where you can find him. Man, follow him everywhere. One of the dopest producers I've heard in a long time. You got that real, you know, that, you know, because, I mean, some stuff don't even sound like music right now. Do it like it doesn't feel, give you that feel. But, you know, um, I've, everything I've heard from you has that feel. And, and that's why, you know, I gravitated, you know, I reached out to you to come come kick it with us a little bit because you're a genuine dude. So I appreciate you on behalf of myself, Super Dave, Patrice Fruitfield Jones, and DC's native son, Jay Sun, and our esteemed guest, the one and only Grammy nominated. We gotta say that every time. Grammy nominated. I mean, yeah, Grammy nominated Mark Bird. Thank you so much, man. We appreciate you. Thank y'all for kicking it with us today. Uh, we'll be back next week with another show, more great conversations, uh, more information, and more fun. This has been Neighborish Livecast. Peace. Thank you.